Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. It is Mike Gore here in the studio with James Kazina, who has just got back from Egypt, a country that I love and a country where it comes at a great cost to follow Jesus. James, we're almost at the end of 2018, and I can't help but begin to reflect on this year and all that's happened. And I just want to take a quick moment to share some of the ways that our listeners have been part of making a difference for the persecuted church around the world. Check this out. Hey everyone, this is Darlene Check here. And this Easter, I am standing one with them. We stand one with them. We are one with them. Open doors are here. We're going to write them letters. We're going to pray for these people. One of the reasons that sponsorship and partnership is helpful because the Bible is really clear that where your treasure is, your heart is also. We're asking people to match one subscription from their life to the survival of the church. It might be Spotify. It might be Netflix. We want you to choose the lowest amount that will see your supporters for the longest time. We've been a ministry that's been serving what's called the persecuted church since 1955. We're sharing the love of Jesus with children of the persecuted church by creating and delivering hand-crocheted, not-forgotten toys. Well, what an incredible year it has been. We can't thank you enough for your financial support, for your prayer. You have helped us deliver Bibles to 16 countries across Asia. You've helped rebuild the church in Iraq by providing job opportunities. You've provided safe houses for 200 persecuted Christians in India. And you fed 75,000 people suffering from the famine in Nigeria. And that is to just name a few. We're also recording this episode off the back of the International Day of Prayer. And I want to say a huge thank you to the hundreds of individuals, prayer groups and churches across Australia who united in prayer for the persecuted church. I couldn't agree more, Mike. It's an incredible effort from everyone who supports this ministry and we couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to find out how you can make a difference in 2019, just head to our website, opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz and find out how you can become a frontline partner. When you were talking about the International Day of Prayer, Mike, I was also reminded that for those who want to pray with the persecuted church more than once a year, we have a prayer guide that we deliver every second month to thousands of people who subscribe to our Frontline Faith magazine. This can also be done on our website. It's so important that we continue to lift up our brothers and sisters in prayer. In fact, prayer is one of the core values of our ministry. When Brother Andrew began smuggling Bibles into the former Soviet Union in 1955, which is actually how Open Doors began, he prayed what we now call the smuggler's prayer. He said, God, I know that you can make blind eyes see, but now I really need you to make seeing eyes blind. It's a pretty radical prayer. And you know what? There were moments where Brother Andrew had loaded up his little Volkswagen Beetle with hundreds of Bibles, and the guards at the border crossings would look into his car and see nothing at all. Even now, as we continue to disciple, train and provide practical support to persecuted Christians, just like you heard Mike mention before, we know the only way that work is possible is through prayer. Brother Andrew said, if we understood the potential power of our prayers, we would be on our knees a hundred times a day, asking him for things that would turn the world upside down. So that's what we're going to talk about today, prayer. 
Here's a few words about it from our founder, Brother Andrew. There's not in Jesus' life one unanswered prayer in his whole life. There is not in the Christian life either. Every prayer gets answered. But it may lie dormant for I don't know how many years. And now I may pray for someone that God puts in my heart. I've never met that person. I may not know anything. Maybe a name, maybe not. You plant in the spiritual field a seed, your prayer, and it's coming out one day. It's going to bear fruit. The moment you hear a name, the moment you see something happen on, on television, uh, Victims, war. Reaction is always when something happens and you react. We should be ahead of that. There's no set rule, this long you pray. Pray as long as God urges you to pray. There's a burden on your heart, a thought, a dream. How is our prayer life? It eliminates all those easily occurring human problems and crises that we go through every day. Because it makes you a different person, it lifts you to another level. Now James, I understand you just got back from Egypt, a country where believers have some pretty bold and radical views on prayer. But before we push into some of the stories from your time in Egypt, can you maybe tell the listeners and myself a little bit more about the state of play for believers in that country? What's it like to be a Christian in Egypt? Yeah, of course. Well, I recently took a team over to Egypt to meet with some of our local partners there. Egypt is currently ranked number 17 on the World Watch List, which is our annual list we release of the top 50 hardest countries in the world to be a Christian. So sitting at number 17 is pretty significant. While many cities in places like Iraq have been liberated from the Islamic State, the extremist group have declared that the Egyptian church is their next target. In 2017, over 75 Christians were killed by Islamic extremists. A few weeks ago, I was standing in a church in the middle of Cairo. We approached a chapel where there had been uh, clearly an incident in the last few years. There were still shrapnel marks all up the wall. There was uh, black dust all up the columns of this incredible historical building. And we asked our partner what happened here. They explained that in December 2016, a young man, 22 years old, had uh, strapped explosives around himself and was seeking to kill a, a Christian leader in the community. He'd never been to a Christian building before, so after he made his way past a few security checkpoints, he made it through the main gate of this church compound, and he stumbled through the set of buildings looking for the place that he could make the most damage, and what he could hear was a group of women gathering to pray and to worship. So he approached this chapel, uh, there was a security guard standing at the door who was motioning for him to stop, you know, stay back, he could clearly see something wasn't right. And as he approached the young man, he detonated the vest around his body. That attack killed 29 people on that day, including the young man on security at the front door. I uh, just remember hearing of the incredible trauma and suffering that followed. 13-year-old uh, twins, their mother had chosen for some reason on that day to not attend church with them, and she later found that her two daughters had died. 
There was a scene just outside the front door where bodies were being dragged one after another and, and held up against this wall and there's still a mark of their blood on that wall to this day. But the thing that struck me more than the destruction was the commitment of believers to still gather and pray despite the obvious risks that are still in front of them. A group of hundreds of women were there on the day I was there still worshipping Jesus, still praying together as a display of unity. And for me, it was just this very clear image that we're not afraid of the enemy. And uh, even more astounding on that day for me was when I walked closer to the, the same front gate where this young man was killed and there was a woman sitting there. She was dressed in black. And so our guide explained to us that that usually meant that she was in mourning. So we looked a little bit closer and I could see a photo around her neck. And although she was wearing these clothes traditionally used for mourning, she had a huge smile on her face. We asked more about her story and we found out that she was the widow of the security guard who died on that day. Her one request to her local church community in his honour was, can I please take his place sitting at the front door, welcoming people as they worship and pray. You know, just next to that building, there's a, a hall set up as a memorial to all of the martyrs who have died in Egypt over the past few years, including the 14 men who were beheaded by ISIS in Libya. And uh, there was just so many faces in that room. I just was taken aback by the, the many, many people who have lost their lives valiantly in the name of Jesus. But the thing that was really striking was a very clear message that was made out to ISIS and other Islamic extremists was the empty frames for future faces of people that were ready to be uh, hung there in the name of commitment to the worship of Jesus Christ. It was a message that said, you know what, ISIS, we're not afraid of you. We're gonna continue to worship. Nothing you do will stop us to gather and pray to our Lord. You might hear a story like that and feel compelled to pray. I know I am. But a pastor in Egypt said to one of our workers, please don't pray for us, pray with us. At first, that might seem like a confusing thing to say, but he went on to explain, if you pray for us, you'll pray for the wrong things. You'll pray that the church will be safe or you'll pray for persecution to cease. We're not praying for these things. We ask God for the salvation of Egypt. We ask that he would draw millions of Muslims to Christ. We ask that we will be bold and clear in sharing our faith with Muslims. And we pray that when the inevitable persecution comes, that we will not run away, that we will be faithful in that persecution, even if it costs us our lives. Will you tell your friends to pray these prayers with us? You know, James, when I think of radical prayers prayed by the persecuted church, I'm taken back to my time in China. It's a nation that in recent years has experienced relatively more freedom than it has in the past. For me, I look at persecution as like a lung. It contracts and it expands. It contracts and it expands. For several years, a country can look like it's getting better, and then all of a sudden, it begins to contract again. And for China, that's what's happening. In 2018 alone... We've seen that things are changing yet again. In February, China revised their regulations on religion and in some areas banned under 18-year-olds from attending church. 
Other churches were demolished and crosses have been removed from homes and church buildings. Christians have also been forced to join religious organisations controlled by the government. The situation has begun to shift. And just like a lung, it's beginning to contract again in China. But you know what? My prayer life can expand and contract too. It's as though in the moments that I need something, it contracts and all of a sudden prayer becomes something that I'm driven to out of a desperate need to solve a problem, to alleviate suffering, to avoid pain. But in those moments of relative peace and calm in my life, it expands, it becomes weaker, it becomes less. You see, you hear stories like Egypt and China and I think instinctively we begin to pray that maybe or perhaps God would stop the changes in regulations, that the church in China can have more freedom when it comes to worshipping Jesus. But you know, I remember a little while back after I'd smuggled some Bibles into China, I met a man who challenged me on prayer. He challenged me on persecution. You see, I was in the underground church and found myself sitting next to a 60, 70, maybe even 80-year-old Chinese believer. We were meeting in secret and he was speaking in broken English. I was listening intently as he retold me childhood stories of the cost of faith in China. He shared first-hand stories of incredible moves of God in China, Jesus turning up in secret prayer meetings and walking through the room, beams of light coming from heaven and resting in prayer meetings, and the list could go on and on. Some of you listening may have heard me tell these stories. But as our time together drew to a close, I remember asking this brother, well, what could I pray for? And he replied, I want you to pray that persecution never leaves China. I remember thinking to myself, that's strange. And I I simply said to him, well, can you tell me why? And he said, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He says, the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. I asked him if he'll pray for me. He paused and he says, yeah, I pray you'll be persecuted. His words were reverberating around my mind. What, he prayed that I'd be persecuted? The value of Jesus drops? I remember thinking in that moment, the terrifying thing is that he was right. He was spot on. And it was disconcerting to say the very least. It actually reminded me of a story I heard about a well-known believer also from China called Li Qin. Li Qin said persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. His best is materialism. Ali Shin said, picture this. The enemy has a barrel of a gun pressed towards your temple and he says, renounce Christ or I'll pull the trigger. Ali Shin said that in that moment, nine times out of ten, you'll find the courage not to deny Christ and the trigger will be pulled. But he goes on to say, now picture this. The enemy says, fine, you can have it all. He takes you to a warehouse and says, here it is. Have all the blessings that come with Christianity. A big house, money, boat, car, family, food, riches. And you know what? You can even have Jesus. Here he is, sitting on a throne. Lee Chin says, it won't be long before you're so focused on playing in the blessings of Christianity that you don't even realize Jesus Christ has left the room. And he says, that is a problem with materialism. I've seen many Christians survive persecution, but I've seen very few survive prosperity. I pray that you'd be persecuted. What kind of radical prayers are you praying? In that audio earlier, 
Brother Andrew asks, how is our prayer life? And I hope this episode prompts us to take his question seriously and ask ourselves, are our prayers more about our own security and comfort or are we willing to welcome persecution and hardship into our life by praying boldly that God would use us to share the gospel? Because if you heard me say so many times before, the reality is that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. And more than that, it's an earmark of successful Christianity. Mike, I get to share similar stories to this all around Australia when we speak in churches. And often when we get to this notion of the fact that persecution not only is uh, a normal thing for the believer's life, but the idea that it's actually something that could be a part of our prayer life, I'm met with looks that describe that I might be saying something heretical. But I wanted to finish with this verse, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I think today we can draw some encouragement from the fact that in Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging a, a younger leader in the Christian faith, there's a very clear reference there that persecution should be a normal part of the Christian faith because of the cost to advance the gospel in some of the most difficult places. And that's true for us here in Australia and in New Zealand as well as the rest of the world. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. We hope this episode has encouraged you and challenged you and in the nicest way possible. We pray that you would be persecuted. Thanks for listening to Open Doors Live with your hosts, Mike Gore and James Kazina. Because of your support, we're able to bring the persecuted church to life. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au.